Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Cleveland Indians 6, the Kansas City Royals 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And the top storylines for me in this game, I mean, at this point in the season, isn't it just all about the pitching? Isn't it all about just seeing what pitching we have going into next season? Are any of these hitters really changing your mind this late in the season about them? Is Bradley Zimmer changing your mind about what kind of hitter he could be in 2022? Probably not. So let's dig into the pitching here because Shane Bieber was back on the mound. He gets an away game, right? Gets a little adversity to face here in his final start of the season. And, you know, he talked after this game, and DeMarlo Hale talked about just how important it was to get out there and compete going into the offseason. And he had a fight a little in this one. He had a battle a little in this one because the fastball command just was not there. You could tell he was pretty mad at himself. I think he actually yelled into his glove as he's walking off the field in the first inning because he, he literally couldn't get that fastball down into the strike zone. He got a couple in the first inning, but especially that first at bat against Merrifield. I mean, really struggling, really struggling to bring that fastball down. And it kind of makes you wonder, like we never get to see the warmups, right? We never get to see what he's doing out there in the bullpen, warming up for the game. We don't even get to see the warmup pitches. So be, I'd be curious to know if this was something he was like out there in the bullpen, throwing his warmups, and was struggling with this fastball command, but figured, ah, once I get on the major league mound, once I get on the big mound, you know, maybe I'll get it under control. And it just never came. Like that command just never came. Or was he pounding the glove out in the bullpen, and then he steps out on that mound, and suddenly he can't get that pitch down, right? Whether it's, I mean, it could be anything mechanical. It could be the follow through. It could be, um, you know, getting that chest down, uh, bringing that pitch down on the follow through. Um, so there's, yeah, there's tons of things that could be causing that, uh, the slick baseballs. I know the baseballs are so slick now, now that they can't use the sticky stuff. It always makes me wonder, like these guys complain about slick baseballs. You never see one of them just like toss one out. Just if it goes in the dirt then they toss it out, but you never see like a guy miss high with a fastball. The catcher throws it back to him and he's like, nah, and just tosses it in the dugout and asks for a new ball. So uh, you know, they complain about slippery baseballs, but mm, I don't know. I don't know. It'd, it'd be interesting to hear from them. Like, do they ever just get a baseball and go, no, not this one. So, uh, yeah, Shane Bieber ends up going three innings, four hits, one earned run, no walks, and one strikeout, throws 50 pitches, and throws of those 50 pitches, 32 for strikes. So, it was a fair outing for Shane Bieber. I don't think... In the end, he has anything to really hang his head about. He's hard hit four times over those 50 pitches. And, you know, I think I think he did a good job of reining in the command and figuring out if the fastball is not going to work. Okay, what else can I throw? In the first inning, he is 50% fastball, and he misses with a lot of them. Was that one at the top of the zone? The t- one at the top of the zone was the one Whit Merrifield uh, popped out with. So he misses high with three. He does get two in the zone. Actually misses low with one against Nicky Lopez. 
uh, to start the at-bat. So he overcompensates on that at-bat with Nicky Lopez uh, after throwing so many high ones, four high ones to Whit Merrifield. He's actually not in the strike zone a ton. He's even missing with a slider a little bit in that first inning. So go to the second inning. He's trying to rein in the command. Does a little bit better. Gets more fastballs in the zone. Uh, he's only still around 47.4% fastball. So about half his pitches are fastballs here. And then by the third inning, he's pretty much given up on it. 17.6% fastballs. He only throws three fastballs in the third inning. Goes mostly with the curve. Mostly with the knuckle curve and the slider. Attacking the zone with a knuckle curve and the slider. And just kind of giving up on the fastball for the day. Um, so we go over to his player breakdown here. He did throw 19 fastballs, 18 sliders, 10 knuckle curves, two changeups, and a cutter. Uh, only got swing and miss on the slider. Uh, 12 swings, three whiffs on the slider. Was able to get a couple called strikes finally on that four seam fastball. Got a couple on the curve and the slider. But I mean, Royals hitters weren't taking it easy against him, they put 12 in play. Uh, so they were being aggressive once he got in the zone. So I'm sure Shane Bieber does not think that was his best outing of the year. But you know what? He got the job done. He figured out what was going to work and what was not to get through three innings. Uh, they uh, give up a couple of hits back-to-back in the second, and that's really the only scoring uh, danger that he gets into. He gets into a little more trouble in the third. But uh, the only scoring comes at the start of the second inning. Benatendi rips a double 101.9 miles per hour down the right field line. And then Santana shoots a single up the middle at 102.4. And that's how they score their run. And frankly, Benatendi just has Shane Beaver's number. In his career, and this is over on rotowire.com, they have the uh, some versus stats. Uh, you could take a player and look at him versus any pitcher. And I do not know if this was updated from last night, right? There's no guarantee. Actually, let's see. Uh, 275 batting average. What did Benatendi end the night with? 275. Oh, maybe it is updated from last night. All right. So uh, in 16 at-bats against Shane Bieber for his career, he has nine hits, four doubles, and a home run, a walk, and a strikeout. So he's got a 563 batting average. He's slugging 1,000. He's got a 1.588 OPS against Shane Bieber. So for some reason, Andrew Benatendi absolutely has Shane Bieber's number. As a matter of fact, if I clear this out, I wonder, is there many pitchers? Dallas Keuchel, he's got Dallas Keuchel's number to a 170, 1.750 OPS. Domingo Herman from the Yankees, uh, 10 at-bats against him. He's got a 1.645 OPS. Glenn Sparkman, he had seven at-bats against him with a 1.625 OPS. And then it's Shane Bieber at a 1.588 OPS. So, uh, and even when we look at batting average, Bieber's still fourth uh, for Andrew Benatendi. So, yeah, of all the pitchers in baseball and that's 16 at-bats, that's, you know, a fair amount of at-bats uh, there to really judge the fact that Benatendi has Shane Bieber's number. So, uh, I'm sure Bieber did not enjoy seeing him come up to the plate. But he gets Dozier to pop out, Mondesi force out, and Taylor flies out to end that threat. Uh, he does give up two more hits in the third inning. Gallagher and Nicky Lopez both single with a Whitmer field fly out, you know, wedged in there. Salvador Perez comes up in a big situation, right? Could be a big 
RBI here, but instead pops out and then gets Ben Attendee to line out. He has to face Ben Attendee one more time, lines out at 100.9 miles per hour. So Bieber gets a little revenge against him there. Um, so that would be Bieber's three innings. And uh, yeah, it was really nice to see him back on the mound again. Now, digging further into this pitching, Logan Allen would come in, piggyback off of Shane Bieber. He would also go three innings, four hits, no earned runs, no walks, and two strikeouts on 42 pitches. He would get hard hit one, two, three, seven times uh, in 42 pitches, but a very good, competent outing from Logan Allen as the piggyback guy here. Going back over to the illustrator, and uh, Logan Allen uh, was throwing the fastball up as well, but he was getting it in the strike zone. He was attacking the strike zone with it, didn't miss high. He just couldn't really find, I wouldn't say he's throwing it to all four quadrants. I'm surprised Logan Allen doesn't put many fastballs in that bottom right corner, you know, from the catcher's view. I guess for the from the pitcher's view, it would be that bottom left corner, uh, his hand side. Uh, I'm just surprised he doesn't, you know, think a lefty would pound some strike zones on that outside edge um, to get guys leaning that way. So then you could bust the slider inside on them. I'm surprised he doesn't use that bottom right corner, but he doesn't. There were a couple on the outside edge, um, got some swinging strikes, got a foul ball on one on the outside edge. Uh, but he just doesn't use that fastball to all four quadrants. Uh, the slider he was using to both sides of the plate. So that's good to see. The slider change of curve he was throwing to both sides of the plate. So really keeping everything below the belt with that off-speed stuff, uh, which is where off-speed stuff belongs. You know, down. You don't want to let any of these hang. And uh, yeah, attacking both sides of the plate there. So a pretty good job by Logan Allen. And uh, if we go over to his player breakdown... Uh, the slider was really working for him. 50% whiff rate, 12 swings, 6 whiffs on that slider. Throwing a called strike, it's good for a 37% CSW on the slider. So definitely the pitch that was working best for him uh, in this game. Uh, so yeah, I think that's huge for Logan Allen to go out there in that piggyback relief role uh, and back up Bieber and really shut the Royals down. I mean, really do a good job of, uh, you know, taking them deep into this game without, uh, and working out of some tough situations here. So he has a pretty easy fourth. He does give up a leadoff single to Carlos Santana, but turns around and gets three outs, including two strikeouts in the fourth, goes one, two, three in the fifth, then gets into it in the sixth. Uh, Salvador Perez, this was a crazy inning here. So Salvador Perez would double down the left field line and hobble into second base with the double, Dealing with that sprained ankle from when he slipped down the steps, he's in there DHing, and I'll probably DH the next three days if he if he can stand. He's going to be out there DHing because he's going for those fifty home runs. You know he wants that nice round number of fifty home runs. I want it for him. You know he wants to lead the league in home runs and RBIs, and he's got to he's probably got to stay out there to do that because they are nipping on his heels, especially for home runs. Uh, Benintendi would follow that up with a single. Perez would move up to third. Santana would ground out to second, and Perez would come home with runners on the corner. Now, whether he was assuming since they were playing back, maybe they would turn the double play, it was kind of chopped to Owen Miller's left, so he couldn't really turn and go to second with it. He had two choices. He could throw it to first and get Santana first, 
or he saw Salvador Perez hobbling home and he throws home and Roberto Perez tags out Salvador Perez coming to the plate. And the look on Salvador Perez's face, at first it looked like there was anger there. Like, hey, rookie, what the hell are you doing? Like, clearly I'm not running here. Like, like it was almost a dirty play. I think that was his initial reaction. But then as he walks off the field, it looks like that look on his face turned to, uh, maybe what was I doing? <laughs> what was I doing trying to score from third here? Uh, you know, I probably should not have gone. So, uh, yeah, interesting interesting range of emotions on Salvador Perez's face there, getting tagged out at home as he hobbles home. Uh, then Hunter Dozier, with runners on first and second, hits one up the middle. Chang playing shortstop on the night, makes a nice diving stop, just they can't get the runner, uh, Santana, going to second base. Not that Santana is that fast, but uh, it's something we talked about last year on the podcast. When Santana needs to move, Carlos Santana can move when he needs to move. He's, he's not going to be a cross-country runner, but in a sprint, he can he can hold his own. And he beats the throw to the bag. He slides in. They review it. He's safe. So now bases are loaded. And what does uh, Logan Allen get? He gets another ground ball. Another ground ball to shortstop. This time it's an easy 6-4-3 double play. And Chang and Owen Miller turn it at second base uh, to get the two outs and to get Logan Allen out of that jam. And Logan Allen was fired up there. Uh, He knew he was in tough water after back-to-back hits to start the inning. And he's able to work out of it with no run scored. Preserve the lead. The Indians had just extended the lead on back-to-back hits in the sixth inning. And you know he wants to go out there and preserve that run they just got. To give that run right back would feel terrible as a pitcher. So he's able to hold on to things. So it was a great performance by Logan Allen. Uh, Probably, if my guess where Logan Allen starts 2022, it's in Columbus. It's in Columbus Staying stretched out as a starter, he's got a lot to work on still. But no walks in this one. The command was really good. Henches comes in then in relief. He gives you an inning of relief. Anthony Ghost comes in, gets a uh, gives up a walk this time, and gets a strikeout uh, in the eighth inning. And then Emmanuel Clase finishing things off. Uh, when you look at their pitch locations, I'm really worried about Anthony Ghost's uh, slider. He was not commanding. He was missing high. He threw it three times and missed high all three times with the slider. The fastball command looked a little better, and he actually got some whiffs on that fastball this time. Two whiffs on the fastball, so go ghosts on that one. Um, Yeah, he's definitely going to spend the offseason working on some kind of secondary pitch to pair with that 100-mile-per-hour fastball. If he sticks with the slider or mixes in a changeup or something like that, uh, he's got to get that slider in the zone just to keep him off balance of the fastball, just a little bit. Uh, Classe loved the slider yesterday, threw a ton of sliders yesterday, pounded the strike zone, and Henches, I got to say, did a decent job of keeping things in the strike zone and actually throwing, I mean, for an inning pitched, he threw to all four quadrants. He really did. There's a fastball in and out, up and down, sliders in and out, up and down. He really did a good job and mixed in two curveballs. So I think Henches... Like I said, Logan Allen probably starts in Columbus. I think Henches, if he works really hard this winter and comes back and is really aggressive in spring training, I think he could be a big, dominant lefty out of the bullpen. I think I think the talent is there 
The guy's talking about how in the alternate site, he was one of the toughest at-bats. I think in a relief role, henches can be really nasty. And if the command's not there, you go get them, right? It's much different than a starter, where you kind of need a starter to eat up innings. You need a starter to work through it. With a reliever, look at look at our relievers this year. Look at Wickren and Shaw. You either you have it, and some games you just don't, and you get hit around. And you know what you do? You come back to the ballpark the next day, and you try to have it again the next day. You try to find it again the next day. So good job by the bullpen here uh, to finish out this game. Now on offense, there are some interesting things going on in this game. Um, we get our scoring started in the third inning after we're. Uh, down a run here. Roberto Perez gets on from a fielding error from uh, Mondesi. Uh, it was a chopper to third base, and Mondesi just spikes the throw. Um, Owen Miller would ground out, but it would move Roberto Perez up. And then Oscar Mercado would rip a double, 93 mile per hour exit velocity, close to a hard hit ball. Oscar Mercado's double would bring Roberto Perez into score, so the Indians tie up the game. Miles Straw would single into right field. Mercado, frankly, got a really bad jump on it and just couldn't go anywhere past third base. But that would bring up Bradley Zimmer, who would end up with three RBIs on the day. Um, Just got up in some interesting situations here. Two of them via the sack fly. Um, So, yeah, so two sack flies from Bradley Zimmer, two RBI sack flies from Bradley Zimmer, and this would be the first one here. It would score Oscar Mercado. And that would be the rally in the third inning. So the Indians go ahead and take a lead. The next time the offense really got rolling would be in that sixth inning. Jose Ramirez with a nice triple into the right field gap, right center field gap in Kansas City. Um, That, yeah, if he played every day in Kansas City, he might be leading the league in triples, right? You just can't do it. The outfield's not big enough in Cleveland, even when you hit that gap. Uh, there's a few spots in the ballpark where you can leg out a triple, but uh, in Kansas City and like places like Detroit, you really can, right? San Francisco, you really can in right center field leg out some triples here. And then Harold Ramirez did a great job all game of just shooting singles through the infield, not trying to do too much. He was in there because friend Meal had some neck stiffness, so a half hour before the game, they made the switch. They put Harold Ramirez in there at DH. And uh, he really delivered. Uh, It was a good day for him at the plate. Two for four with two RBIs on two singles shot through the infield. This one, he goes to right field and scores Jose Ramirez. Yu Chang would walk, and then we would get the greatest, most textbook example of the infield fly rule you are ever going to see. Fathers and mothers, sit your sons and daughters down because it is time to teach them about the infield fly rule. Now, this rule is designed to prevent exactly what Whit Merrifield does on this pop-up. So, obviously, it's a pop-up right behind second base, right at the edge of the grass. So, the runners can't go anywhere, right? They're not, they're, those runners aren't moving. Harold Ramirez on second, a Yu Chang on first after a walk. They're not going anywhere. So Whit Merrifield lets the ball fall in the grass. He does not catch the easy out for Bobby Bradley. In theory, without the infield fly rule here, he could then pick up that ball, throw it to third, or they can even throw it to second and tag out Harold Ramirez, then throw it to first and get Yu Chang out, or throw it to third, then throw it to second, and get two outs, turn a double play on runners that frankly cannot move. 
they cannot go anywhere. But because of the force, then he would be able to throw to third, get an out, throw to second, get an out, and turn a double play. Now, that's ridiculously unfair to the runners. Hence, the infield fly rule. The batter is automatically out, and the runners do not have to advance. There is no force anymore. Now, what... uh, What's his name? Uh, Whit Merrifield was hoping for, was hoping that he knew that the runner would be out. Everybody knew. In fact, you see the second base umpire call infield fly rule, and then you immediately see as soon as the ball hits the ground. And frankly, I think Whit Merrifield knew that the direction this ball was coming down, it was going to stick in the grass. He didn't have to worry about it kicking on anywhere. As soon as he saw it was going to land in the grass, he knew this thing was going to stick like a, you know, like a 60 degree wedge in golf, you know, approaching a green. Like that thing was just going straight up in the air and straight down and was going to stick. Um, so he knew he didn't have to worry about it kicking away in any weird direction or anything like that. His hope was that Harold Ramirez or Yu Chang would forget what the infield fly rule meant and maybe take a few steps off the base. Maybe by that ball hitting the ground, they would get sloppy with their base running, take a few steps, and he'd be able to throw them out. They did not. They knew the rules. They held their base. They were safe. The batter was out. So it was a very interesting textbook example and good base running from Harold Ramirez and Yu Chang to recognize what was happening, right? Sure, Whit Merrifield was trying for a, for a dirty out there, right? I guess we can't fault him for trying. Um, but everybody did their job. The umpire did his job. The base runners did their job. Um, yeah, so a textbook, textbook example of the infield fly roll there. All right, now that we're done with this umpiring 101 lesson, let's get back into the game because the scoring does not stop for the Indians. Even though it stops here, uh, actually, we waste a rally, frankly, with uh, two runners on and nobody out, right? The first three reach, we do get Jose in. But then Harold Ramirez is sitting there in scoring position. Bobby Bradley would pop out. Roberto Perez would fly out to center. And Owen Miller would strike out swinging. So uh, the Indians would get more chances to score here. Uh, in the seventh inning, they would add on after Miles Straw would single. Bradley Zimmer would line a double in the center field. And frankly, Michael Taylor would just take a terrible route. He would undercut the ball. I mean, if he curls this route back, he's got an easy catch in center field. Straw probably can't even advance off first base. It's just an easy fly out to center. Instead, he takes a terrible route, and Zimmer ends up getting an RBI double out of it. Straw flies around the bases. Uh, It doesn't help that they kept missing their cutoff man. Kansas City missed their cutoff man a couple of times last night. That made things really easy on Indians runners here. Uh, Jose Ramirez would ground out to first, which would move Zimmer up to third. And then Harold Ramirez delivers a two-out RBI, shoots one through the left side this time. And Zimmer comes in to score. Uh, So a good job there with two outs of getting the RBI. Uh, And then in the ninth inning, we would add one more on. Mercado would walk. He would steal second. Uh, He would move to third on the uh, throwing error by Cam Gallagher. And then Miles Miles Straw would fly out to right in foul territory so the runner can't advance. But that would bring up Bradley Zimmer facing his brother once again. Brother on brother action. And the first pitch of the at-bat this time. Bradley Zimmer is wasting no time. Uh, gets a high. What was that pitch? Let's see here. It looked didn't look like a fastball. If it was a fastball, it didn't look like it had a lot of heat on it. No, nah, it was some kind of breaking ball, some kind of curveball he tried to start him off with that he just missed high. And he hits it about 400 feet 
to center field to make an easy sack fly for uh, for Bradley Zimmer, 394 feet officially, um, to bring in Oscar Mercado from third. So it's not quite the brother-on-brother action. That sounds wrong. Uh, it wasn't quite the uh, the battle uh, that we were hoping for between the Zimmer brothers to their final battle of the season. I'm glad. It's almost wondering, did Matheny leave him out there for an extra inning just to see the Zimmer versus Zimmer battle one more time? Because, right, I think I think Zimmer goes two innings in this one. Yeah, he does pitch two innings to end the game in this one. You feel like Matheny left him out there just to see what the brothers would do against each other one more time. And I guess Bradley Zimmer wins the final duel of the season between the brothers. He gets the RBI, he gets the sack fly, and his team takes home the win. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Offensively, the top of the lineup did a pretty good job. I mean, two hits from Miles Straw and a walk. He's on base three times. Zimmer with three RBIs getting the job done with those sack flies. Jose Ramirez with the big triple and a run scored. Harold Ramirez with two hits. Frankly, everybody found a way to contribute somehow. Yu Chang got on base via the walk. Uh, Bobby Bradley uh, did have a hit on the day. Roberto Perez reaches on the error and scores that run. Owen Miller had a hit, and uh, Oscar Mercado with the double. And uh, the walk leads to two runs for him, plus an RBI. So everybody really found a way to contribute on offense. MVP for the day? I think I'm going with Logan Allen. I really think I am. He was hard to hit a bunch. But he does a great job of coming in after Shane Bieber and putting up zeros. And he had to fight to get out of that sixth inning. But in a, in a tight game still, it's not like Bieber left with a ridiculous lead. It's a 2-1 game, eventually a 3-1 game, and he puts up zeros for three innings. I got to say, that's pretty impressive from Logan Allen. So he is taking home for me MVP on the day. The dream is still alive of finishing the season at 500, but the Indians are going to have to put in the work against the Texas Rangers if they want to finish at 500, if they want to preserve a non-losing season for Terry Francona. Um, Going on in the rest of baseball, my God, the American League wildcard race is just fantastic right now. Seattle benefits from both Toronto and Boston. Boston lost to Baltimore. Toronto had a chance to do damage against the Yankees, but they end up losing that game in a slugfest. Seattle gets the benefit of having an off day, and they actually move into a tie for the second wildcard spot. So, going into the last three games of the season, the Yankees have to face the Rays. Boston gets to face the Washington Nationals. Toronto gets to face Baltimore. And Seattle has to face the LA Angels. So, Seattle, with those late games on the West Coast, is going to get the benefit of seeing what those other teams do ahead of them before they go into the game. Although I'm sure all four of these teams, frankly, would like to sweep this weekend and leave no doubt. But yeah, as it stands right now, we might have a 163rd game this season. We might be in a tiebreaker situation before we go into the one-game playoff for the wild card. So, Things are going to be very, very interesting in the American League here as things wind down. Frankly, I am rooting for either Seattle or Toronto to get one of these wildcard spots because, yeah, maybe it's a little jealousy being a Clevelander, you know, with Boston and New York, the big East Coast cities. 
blah blah. But yeah, I uh, I've just seen so much of the Yankees and the Red Sox in my lifetime. It's always fun when an upstart like Seattle or Toronto can get in there and uh, knock one of them out of playoff contention, take one of those playoff spots, and who knows, maybe take it to the Yankees in that wild card game. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out. I'm definitely keeping my eye on all of that. All right, uh, for the Indians in Texas, it's going to be Eli Morgan starting an 8.05 game uh, tonight. Saturday is going to be Tristan McKenzie with his final start. And then Sunday, we thought it was going to be Cal Quantrill, but it's actually going to be Aaron Savali. And I wonder if this is a situation where Savali asked them, like, I need to end this season with a better taste in my mouth than I have right now, right? I did not like my last outing. Please let me go out there one more time and try to get a good outing under my belt before this season is over. Maybe he saw what Shane Bieber did in his two outings before the season ends and just wants one more crack at it. So Quantrill's season is actually done. Uh, they said we got a, you know, a pat on the back and a handshake. And uh, yeah, he wrapped up a pretty strong uh, 2021 season. And it's definitely someone, a name we're going to be talking about throughout our off-season episodes. All right. Frankly, I'm going to be a little honest with you, morning people. I have to work until about 11 o'clock tonight. And then I have to be back at work at 6.45 in the morning. I'm going to have like less than five hours of sleep. And I have absolutely no idea when I am going to record the podcast. So here's what we're going to get. There's one of two situations. Either I'll throw the Bluetooth headphones on and you're going to just get my instant reaction driving home tonight or driving there in the morning. And literally, uh, I'm going to do the episode while driving. And uh, don't worry, I will not be looking at my phone. It'll just be me talking to you. Um, I can remember a box score pretty well. And then uh, it's either that or I do a double header episode on Sunday morning and I just talk about the last two games on Sunday morning. So we'll see what I'm in the mood for, uh, how much I'm able to take into the game uh, tonight while I'm working. And uh, yeah, uh, it's been it has been a fun season talking baseball with you. And I appreciate every one of the morning people who is sticking through to the end of the season that is going to listen all the way up to game 162. So I want you to know, morning people, I very much appreciate you. So that is all my thoughts on this one. The final again from Kansas City, and it's our last of the season. It's the Indians 6, the Kansas City Royals 1. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I would love to do an end-of-the-season mailbag episode where you guys, you guys and girls, you morning people can voice your opinion. I'm just not getting the emails, right? You, you just haven't really felt motivated to email in. So I'll, I'll keep throwing it out there. If you want to start sending emails in, I will do a mailbag type episode, you know, after the season's over. So go ahead, fill up the inbox. Let me know your thoughts on the season, on any of the players, on the off-season stuff that has to happen. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll include that in the mailbag episode as well. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.